Amen. Our reading from God's holy word this morning comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 and extending to verse 18. Please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, to those who hold her fast are called blessed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Before we pray and consider this uh, word that we've just heard from Proverbs chapter 3, I want to simply make mention that our brand new devotionals are ready and available for you to pick up this morning. Those of you who read along with us here at Cornerstone as we work our way through sections of the Bible, and we're doing something a little bit different this year as we start off 2018. Some of you two years ago, you'll remember this quite well, began down a journey, if you were with us then, in reading through the Bible over the last couple of years. This Sunday is actually the final Sunday for those of you who made that long And for some of us feeling very arduous task of working our way through the scriptures, some of us fell off, believe it or not, during those two years. Maybe more than just a few of us fell off in those couple of years. I want you to know if that is you, there's no reason to hang your head in shame this morning. Grace, even for that, today as we come into the presence of the Lord. But as we considered reading through the Bible, and many of us strove, and some of us did, finish reading through the Bible in the last couple of years, we also realized there were some weaknesses in doing it the way that we did it. One is that we don't hardly do anything over the course of two years consistently. And so instead of biting off more than we can chew, we're going back and we're considering what would it look like to read smaller sections of Scripture that are... They're curated or culled for us around the themes of which we will be studying, preaching on, and working through side by side each Sunday together as the body of Christ. That's what we've done, calling five weekdays for us to do our reading and giving you two days in which to do some other kinds of reading or a grace day of which you may not do any reading at all. To recognize that, that we as a body of Christ are moving together in a particular direction. That the Lord is taking us each Sunday as we gather together down a particular path. And as we go into 2018, the path has been already laid out. 
We're beginning a six-week journey starting next Sunday through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Looking forward to diving into those first 11 chapters because I believe that all of the major themes of the entire biblical narrative, including key aspects of our theology, are all found in seed form in those first 11 chapters. In some sense, we could say there's a mini Bible within the Bible in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, we'll see some of the strangest things that you'll find in the Bible, worldwide floods and Nephilim marrying the sons of God and the sons of men. We're going to see all kinds of towers, one called Babel. We're going to read genealogies together. There's going to be a lot of fanciful, wonderful, true things for us to study in the days to come. And there's many scriptures throughout the Bible that relate directly to the book of Genesis that we won't have the time to cover in all of our meetings together on Sunday mornings. And so you have this, this, this reading, short sections from various places in the scripture to relate to and connect with the themes that we'll be focusing on each Sunday as we work through Genesis. In addition to that, over the next few months, we're going to look at some very key subjects that will arise out of the book of Genesis that are key pastoral issues for the time in which we live. You'll notice in the newsletter this morning that on January the 28th, we're going to do a special Sunday school class right here in this room just to discuss the various views of creation relating to the creation days. But we'll also have time to talk about gender and sexuality when we get to Genesis chapter 2. We'll have an opportunity to talk about covenant and how the Lord walks with his people as we look at the covenant of Noah. We're going to take special times during this year to gather together in the Sunday school hour and dig in a little bit deeper into some pivotal issues for us to be able to learn and grow together in our knowledge of the Bible. And so I hope as we begin this new year together that you will carve out those times when they're set in our calendar to be here so that we can do a deep dive into some of the things that we won't be able to get to each week as we open up the Word of God in the sermon. So pick this up. It's free. Grab it. And starting tomorrow, let's read together. Now let's look together at Proverbs chapter 3 and consider where it is that the Lord is taking us today as we consider the theme of wisdom. But before we do, let's just pray and ask for his help and his blessing. Father in heaven, we need you right now. In fact, there is nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to grasp or to gain from this passage, the knowledge that you intend, if you don't attend this passage with your spirit. And so, spirit, we would ask you now to be with us and to work as you have done throughout the ages, to take the black and the white of the words of scriptures And to make them illumined, lightened, alive to our hearts. That we as a people might be formed and shaped more into the image of our beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us in that way now and guide us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I was in a shell station the other day, and I heard an old familiar song from the late 1990s, early 2000s. I'm not exactly sure uh, when it was published. Some of you will remember this. This will miss some of you as well. But you remember the, you remember the band, The Counting Crows? Alternative rock band, kind of late 1990s, early 2000s. They had this, this big hit called A Long December. It just seemed appropriate. It's the last week of December, right? Last day of December to talk about the Counting Crows. A Long December is the name of the song. One line in it says this, A Long December, and there's reason to believe, maybe this year will be better than the last. I believe that sort of wishful hope that's mentioned in that uh, lyric gets to probably the heart of some of us here in this room. Maybe this year will be better than the last. Not a lot of hope in that, but a little bit. Maybe a more poignant question would be to ask, what would make this year for you, for us, better than the last? And maybe underneath a question like that would be to ask, what change needs to happen in your life? What change needs to happen in our life? Together as the body of Christ, where is it that we need to spend our time, limited as it is, our energy, diminishing as it may be, and resources as we go into the next year, 2018, together? Maybe when I talk about that word spend, spend time, spend energy and resources, what flagged in your mind was your bank account. You need to spend time on your finances going into this next year. I'll have you know that Penny Hoarder has a great article right now out on the website. Seven New Year resolutions that will get your finances on track for 2018. I actually sent it to my wife so that we could talk about it together. Maybe for you, relationships come to mind when you think about 2018. If that's the case, Huffington Post has something for you. Seven things you can do in 2018 for better relationships. Or maybe it's your physical health that comes to mind. You know, too many Christmas cookies. John Hopkins Medicine advances six New Year's resolutions for a happy and healthier 2018. Now, maybe as we talk about these variety of things that may be on our minds as we come to the end of this year and the beginning of next year, maybe all of those things come to mind as needing your time and energy and resources for this next year. Maybe there's so many things that come to mind that you're wondering whether you'll get any aspect of your life on track this next year. And some of you are wondering why I'm spending any time even thinking about getting life on track. Because you've had so many bad years in a row that you'd rather just not even think about it anymore. Now, whether you're on the spectrum of the optimist or the cynical or somewhere in between, which probably connects with most of us, the fact of the matter is I'm absolutely sure that there's one thing that you will pursue in 2018. There's one priority, and it is right now very high in your heart and mind. You won't even have to write it down as a resolution to remember. It's so core to your being that you will inevitably do it. It's, it's hinted at right there in the very first word of our text in Proverbs chapter 3. That word, blessing. That's what you and I are going to pursue in 2018. 
we're going to pursue, as best we know how to define it, blessing in our life. That's what we want. If we could sum up our life together and individually, we want, very simply, one word, blessing. Or, if we might stay with that word, but go to the older translation of the word, the word that the KJV uses when it comes to the Beatitudes in Matthew and comes to this passage here in Proverbs, when it comes to the language of blessed, it actually talks about happy. Happy is the one who finds wisdom. You see, we want blessing, but what we really want is the happiness that comes from the blessing, however it is that we desire it. Now that I can trust, I can assure you that you're going to pursue in 2018, and not just you, me. I'm going to pursue it. Blessing, happiness, because I am hardwired by the God who has made me to seek for blessing. To find in this world, in any way that I can get it, happiness. Augustine saw this in the third century. He understood that more than anything, we are a people who are desiring beings. And the thing that we desire most of all is our own happiness. What that means is that America wasn't the first place to come up with this idea of the pursuit of happiness. Whether it was written in a declaration or in the mission of an institution or nation, it's always been written on the heart of man. We will seek happiness. Now, we won't all seek it in the same place. Let's be clear about that. I was reading in Psychology Today magazine. No, I don't have a subscription to Psychology Today magazine, but I was reading one in a waiting room and there was a really interesting prescription for happiness, one, one that we hear very regularly. Uh, Bartman Goldsmith writes, if you want to experience happiness in the year to come, then you need to listen to your heart. You need to listen to your heart. Against the idea of what the Bible says, which is that the heart is deceitful. And it is desperately wicked. And if you listen to it, and if you follow it, it will most certainly destroy your happiness. So where we get this wisdom really is important. What source do we look to? How is it that we find the real kind of wisdom that gets us to the real kind of blessing so that we can experience true happiness? John Piper says, what sets Christians off from the world is not that we have given up on the universal quest for happiness, but that we seek happiness from a different source in different ways. Our seeking of wisdom from a different source in different ways, to use Piper's words, is the reality of godly wisdom. What Solomon is getting to here in Proverbs chapter 3 and what Solomon says is if you want to be happy in 2018 and if you want to experience the blessing of 2018 you've got to have wisdom now if that's the case I just have three questions three questions for this text for my own heart and for us as a congregation what is wisdom that's question number one what is wisdom it's an important question 
Because in that question, what is wisdom, we're getting to the source of what it is we're supposed to find. What is it that we're supposed to be looking for? And in the world that we live in, we tend to think of wisdom in, in intellectual ways, in people who are smart, people who have lots of knowledge. We suppose that these people are wise, but how many of you have met educated fools? And how many of you have met uneducated paragons of wisdom? We quickly see that when we look out at the world, wisdom is not equivalent to the amount of knowledge or training or degrees by our name. It's not even equivalent to the experiences that we have or the travels that we've done or the accomplishments or achievements that we've made. Historically, the ancients understood wisdom as much deeper than something that is experienced or something that is a faculty of the mind. Instead, they understood wisdom as the facility, the facility of heart to live in accord with what is good, with what is right, and what is true. The facility of heart, an actionable thing, a doing, not merely a thinking. It would be a wonderful way if we could think our way to wisdom. That if we could just continue to learn and everything that we learned immediately was absorbed into our lives. And as it was absorbed into our lives, it immediately animated our actions. And we found ourselves always doing that which we know. But I don't know about you. But I don't do half of the things I know. I don't do a quarter of the things I know. Uh, Knowledge and education is not the core issue. There's something deeper. There's this formation of a heart, of a soul, of an inclination, a facility of a will, a desire to do the right thing, to carry out its function. It would be remarkable this next year if I were to find myself in that all-too-common temptation or struggle or difficulty, whether anger or gossip or whatever it would be, To find myself in that moment with the temptation to do so and then to be able to see it for what it is in the moment. Call it out for the destruction of happiness that it will seek to wield upon me and then with a 180 degree turn go in the opposite direction and to do what I know to be right when the inclination of my soul is to do that which is wrong. It would be an incredible feat of character to if 60% of the time, 70% of the time, 80% of the time, I was able to get to the place where I was able to say no to the thing that was there and say yes to the thing that I ought to do. In the moment where we spot what it is that's wrong and what it is that's right and we do what it is that's right and we resist that which is wrong, the Bible refers to that and the ancient church has always referred to that as the Skill of wisdom. Uh, The character, the formation of a desire that can see something for what it is. Where it can take us down the path in our minds and we can know that what it is we want in the moment is not really what we want. And it can't get us to where it is we really think it can get us. And that the short flights of success or pleasure or enjoyment that it might give to us won't last and will ultimately sour and will lead us further away from the happiness that we desire and further away from the blessing that God wants for us. To be able to see that and act on it is wisdom. Now, if you would like that, as I do, coming into the new year, 
to be able to see situations and to see through them and to respond to them correctly and to act in accord with it, then I want to ask the second question, what will finding wisdom require? What does it take to get there? Because if I'm, if I'm here and I want to be there with regards to wisdom, what are the steps that are needed in order for that kind of character to be formed into shape in me? You see, that's really how Solomon frames the question. He says, blessed or happy is the one who finds wisdom. You see, the metaphor he uses is find, to discover He's meaning to say that wisdom, to acquire it, is, is a lot less like taking a test and getting the right answer. Well, we do that all of the time. It's not a knowledge issue. He says it's more, it's more like going on a journey, going on a hunt. It's more like digging for buried treasure. In fact, that's exactly what Solomon says it's like in the previous chapter. Proverbs 2, verse 4. Seek for wisdom like silver. Search for it as hidden treasure. It's treasure, he says. This wisdom, it's a value. It is, a, it is something that in our mind and our heart has to be more valuable than any other thing in order for us to seek it in the way that's required. It's why Solomon in this passage paints us a picture. He doesn't so much tell us that wisdom is valuable. He shows us how valuable wisdom is. He says, if you are interested in gain, I want you to know that wisdom is better for you than silver would be. If you're interested in a profit coming this new year, I want you to know don't invest in the gold market. Invest in the wisdom of God. If you're interested in precious jewels, well, the most precious jewel you'll ever find will be the jewel that is wisdom. In fact, whatever it is you desire, there is nothing that you can desire, he says, that is more desirable than wisdom. Now, I think the reason Solomon puts it that way is because he knows how hard it is to search and to find wisdom. He knows that unless you and I are convinced that wisdom is actually better than silver or gold, it's better than precious jewels, it's better than anything right now that you desire, whatever that is, unless you're totally convinced of that, you won't go on this journey to search for wisdom. Because the journey to search for wisdom will require all of you, the whole of your life. It will require everything that you've got. You see, wisdom seeking is a lot like the decision you make when you decide to marry someone. It's, it's a decision that says, I value you so much that I am willing to commit my entire life to possessing you, to acquiring you, to having you as my own, for better or worse. For richer or for poorer, till death do us part. The search for wisdom is going to require that kind of undivided and absolute and complete attention because when you decide to marry someone, you're not simply deciding to call them your spouse. You know what you're also saying simultaneously? You're saying no to every other person in the world. 
When you say yes to the wisdom of God, it means that you're saying yes to this value and you're willing to trade in every other value in order to gain the wisdom of God. That's what you're saying. That's the, the significance of this kind of seeking that's being described. Go for it, find it, seek it, embrace it, go for it with all that you can because unless you have a kind of death do you part commitment, to wisdom, you won't stay in this search because this search will require everything of you. That's why I believe that Solomon throughout the book of Proverbs personifies a wisdom classically as a woman. She's described here in the feminine pronoun. He wants us, as it were, to look upon wisdom as a beautiful queen. She's described in this passage as possessing things in her left and right hand. She bestows honor. She has power. She has abilities. In other places in the book of Proverbs, he describes wisdom as a jewel, as riches, as he did in Proverbs 2 as a treasure. Why does he do that? Because he knows what you're really after. He knows the things that your heart pines for. And so as he casts a vision for the kind of wisdom that he is extending to you through this particular gift, he knows that you won't go after it unless you truly believe that it is more valuable than all of the other things that are pining for your attention. Now, if that's the case, if it's going to require of me everything... This wisdom to know how to choose between that which is right and wrong, we might say, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever as we are called to do, then I want to know what benefits I can expect that are going to come from this. Isn't that what we do? It's always what we do. Uh, we're, we're looking at a decision, and if it's going to cost us this much, we want to know if it's enough bang for the buck. Are we going to get out of this the thing that we're going to invest in it? That's actually the metaphor that Solomon's using. He said, if you really want profit, don't put it here, put it there. If you really want gain, don't put it in this investment, put it in this investment. He says, because I'll tell you, you'll get tens of thousands of dollars on the dollar for the investment into wisdom where you will barely get pennies if you invest it in anything else. And so the question we must ask is then, if it costs this much to gain this skill, where's it going to lead me? What's it going to get for me? And he tells us four things. He says, long life. That's pretty good. Riches and honor. Oh, well, that's, that's really helpful. Because if I have to lose riches in order to get wisdom, it means I'll get the riches back, so I like that riches and honor. Uh, pleasantness, I, he says we're going to get pleasantness. I, I like pleasantness. I'm for pleasantness. That resonates with this happy theme. I, I'm for pleasantness. And then finally he says, you'll get peace. You'll, you'll get the shalom. You'll get the being at right with God in the world. Sign me up. Now, the fact of the matter is, when you begin to actually study wisdom, you begin to realize that in the pursuit of these things, it doesn't mean instantaneously. It means in order to get this long life, you may have to lose your life first. That in order to get the riches and the honor, you might have to give away all your riches and be dishonored in order to gain it. That in order to experience the pleasantness, you must go through a whole lot of unpleasantness first. 
And that in order to achieve this peace, you're going to have to face some of the most deep and abiding conflicts, both in your life and in the world. And this is why when we turn in the pages of Scripture to look at the real heart of peace and the heart of pleasantness and the heart of riches and honors and the heart of a long life, these blessings that come from the one who seeks wisdom, when we look at them, what we begin to see is the Scripture doesn't give us just a skill for living as a definition for wisdom. It gives us a person for all of the blessings of wisdom are not something we get simply by being wise. There's something that we are given by the one who is the very wisdom of God. You see, when you turn to the pages of Scripture, it's not so much what you know or how well you do it, but it's who you know. Matthew Henry put it this way, true wisdom consists in the knowledge and the love of God. The knowledge and the love of God. If you want wisdom, Matthew Henry says, you're going to need to know and you're going to need to love God. And this knowledge of God and this love of God is not in the abstract. It's not the kind of warm and fuzzy you might feel on a New Year's Eve Sunday morning. It's the kind of knowledge and the love of God that will get you through all of the difficulties of life. It's a personal knowledge of God. You see, one of my big concerns for us as a people in North America, for us specifically as Christians in Middle Tennessee, is that maybe... Our relationship with God is, is more like a relationship that a fan has with a celebrity than a, a friend has with someone that they deeply know and love. You see, the difference between a fan and a friend is huge. An athlete or musician or a celebrity, whoever it is that we love, we love to pour over the stories of their lives. We love to learn the facts. We follow them on Twitter. We try to learn where it is that they're going and what it is that they're doing, and we get this pseudo sense that we know them, but we have no idea of the inner fears. We have no ideas of their hopes and aspirations. We don't know their inner thoughts. We don't know what it's like when the cameras aren't rolling and the lights aren't shining. We don't really know them. We have a distant affection for them based upon a false enamorization of them. And I'm afraid that more often than not, we're fans than friends when it comes to our relationship with God. We can pour over the facts. We know the details of their life, where they were born, and what, what movie they starred in that got them that Oscar. And what award they got when they were awarded the, the Grammy, and what Super Bowl it was that they threw that winning touchdown. We, we know the facts about who they are. We'll even show up on Sunday and cheer for God. But we lack the true wisdom of God. The kind of wisdom that arises from intimate walking with him. Knowledge of him like we know our bosom friend. A loving relationship where we are committed to pouring out our lives for the other. Because we know that the other has poured out their life for us. 
Maybe as we come to the end of the year, you're facing the fact that you've pretty much lived 2007 without God and without the wisdom of God. You've grabbed at life, silver, gold, vacations, pleasures, possessions. You've even tipped God for the blessings. But as you stand on the brink of 2018, you realize something of a spiritual nausea has set in. Because you've glutted yourself on life rather than the source of life, which is God. What if you were more than a fan going into 2017, 2018? What if you were a friend? What if... You knew and walked and loved God in the way or toward the way he knows, walks, and loves you. Matthew Henry helps us again in this. Because he says true wisdom consists in the knowledge and the love of God. But he doesn't stop there with his definition. You know what he says? You want to really know? What do we like to walk in intimacy with the Lord? He says it's when the entire conformity of all of your intentions bend toward his truth, his providences, and his laws. When all of the intentions of your heart bend towards his promises, his truths, his providences, and his commands, meaning his whispers of love that come to you throughout the scriptures. His steely demands with regards to his commands. And his good and his hard providences as they enter your life. And in all of them, it is your kind intention that your desires be a perfect match with his. That is wisdom. Wisdom is the moment where there is no separation between what God wants and what you want. And all of your thoughts and all of your words and all of your actions so seamlessly connected to that purely driven motivation that all of your desires would be God's and God's desires would be yours. And so Solomon tells us, this wisdom, if you have it, if it's like that, it will be to you as a tree of life. That's what he says in the final verse. For the person who lays a hold of it, it will be as if you are in Eden. Walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. You can probably see why Solomon was drawn back to that opening section in the Garden of Eden. For that tree of life, well, it represents happiness. It represents blessing. It was the tree that was provided for Adam and Eve that they were always to eat from in communion with God, knowing of his provision and his protection, living in perfect unity with him. And it was the tree that they were cut off from. It was the tree that in their sin they were removed from and 
and cast, as it were, out of that place of blessing, of life and of happiness, east of Eden, having committed the foolish act, the supreme foolish act of choosing to eat from the wrong tree, of knowing in the moment, having all of the knowledge, this tree is good, this tree is bad, I shouldn't eat of this tree. I should eat of this tree. I've got plenty to eat. I shouldn't be dissatisfied. I will. I ate and I fell. And Adam, who was there with her, ate and he fell. And in the moment, despising God's clear instruction, forsaking the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, leading them astray into a life that is a wilderness. And it's no surprise then as you look at Genesis chapter 3, you know what you see? You see the opposite of Proverbs 3. You see that their life was cut short. They didn't have long life. They would surely die. You see that they fell into dishonor. They didn't experience honor. They were exposed as naked and ashamed. You see that they lost their riches they were cast out into the wilderness, into the wilderness, wandering in east of Eden. Their ways from that point were not pleasant, but they were painful. He said to Eve, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You see, it was the very opposite. Of wisdom because they had committed such foolishness. And so it's no surprise that the final peace is there as well. No peace, but conflict. I will put enmity, he says, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, if ever there was a mysterious saying of wisdom, it's that one. Certainly when Moses spoke it to the people of Israel, posted the Exodus as he recounts the creation, a narrative given to him by God, surely the people of Israel pondered the fullness of what that message would mean, knowing that within it there was something deep, knowing that there was a deep wisdom to arise out of the supreme foolishness of a moment of utter darkness would arise the moment of great light. That God would turn the moment of foolishness into a precursor for the glory of his wisdom. For when Jesus came, he left the peace of heaven to enter into the conflict that we spawn here on earth. Jesus left the pleasantness of heaven to undergo the pain of the fallen life. He left the honor and the riches of heaven to experience the dishonor and the rejection, even being hung naked on the cross. It was Jesus who left his eternally protected life to have his life cut short. 33 years of age for our sin. 
And so Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of the God, the world did not know God through its wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. You see, in Proverbs chapter 3, as we were reading it, I must admit, we probably went down it in such a way so it led you to the conclusion that you could become the all-wise one. But you see, at the end of the day, Proverbs 3 is really not about you. And that's the wisdom of it. It's about the only one who was ever wise. The all-wise one. Jesus, the crucified. It's about him. And to the degree that you know him, to the degree that you love him, to the degree that you follow him, and when you fail to follow him, repent and follow him again. To that degree, Will you know the happiness of the wisdom of God? In 2018, by God's grace, let it be our prayer to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. For we know the wisdom of God. We have been saved by Christ. And all of your lack of wisdom from 2017 going all the way back through the course of your entire life has been paid for by Christ. And he has set you upon the rock that is him that will not move in 2018. And so the resolution of this year is not simply the 15 pounds less. It's to get this wisdom. For this wisdom is true wisdom. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, give us this wisdom. That is, give us Christ. For 2018, and from every year hereafter, until Christ is our full and complete possession. And we know him even as we are known. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.